Okay, we are continuing a Bible study that we began several weeks ago uh, that we're entitling Reasons to Believe. And hopefully tonight we're going to finish the first section of this study, which is examining the uniqueness of the Christian faith. And we've been looking at a number of the claims of Christianity we haven't really looked into the proofs of these claims yet. We're just listing all of the things that Christianity claims to be or to have. And I, I'm going to review those very quickly. And I think you'll notice that these are pretty extravagant claims that are made by Christianity and either they're all true, or it's a huge hoax, and like Paul says, we might as well forget about having our sins forgiven, and our faith is in vain. So, when you list all of these claims, amazing things that the Christian faith claims, it's unlike any other religion. And what we want to begin to do in coming weeks, then, is to actually look at the basis and the proof for a number of these claims. And we're really basing this whole study on one verse of Scripture found in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. And I'll read that verse again, 1 Peter 3 verse 15. <clears throat> it says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Peter says we should always be prepared, be ready to give an answer or, as the title of our Bible study indicates, to give reasons for your faith, reasons why you believe in Jesus Christ. And as I've been stating over and over, <clears throat> excuse me, our faith in God and in Jesus Christ is not a blind faith. Uh, I get rather irritated when I hear well-meaning Christians talk about that, that we just blindly believe in God. Nothing could be further from the truth. We're believing in something that has abundant evidence, all kinds of proof, and we're not blindly believing in something. We're believing in something that has logical proof, and actually one of the translations for this scripture we saw is to give a logical defense. A logical defense. So, when we're trying to witness to unbelievers, Peter says we should always be prepared to give them answers, give them reasons why we can believe in God, why we can believe in the Bible, and why we can believe in Jesus Christ. And, obviously, if we're going to be prepared, it takes preparation. And that's why we're devoting the time in these Bible studies, so that we can equip ourselves, so that we can have some answers. And we saw one of the translations for this verse is to be able to give a defense for the gospel. Not that we're trying to argue or debate or fight with people, but we want to be able to give them logical proof, logical reasons to believe in Jesus. Now, we looked at a number of the exclusive claims that are made by Christianity. Let me just list these again. And as I stated at the start tonight, We've not yet looked at the proof of these claims. We're just trying to get an outline of some of the amazing things that are claimed by the Christian faith. We saw the first one is 
the God of the Bible, he claims to be the only true God. There aren't any other gods. There's one true God, and the proof that he is the true God is given over and over in the Bible. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He made all things, and therefore that gives him the absolute right and authority to claim to be the one, the only, true creator God. And we'll look more at that in coming weeks. A second claim that Jesus made when he was here on the earth, he claimed to be the only way to God. So the God of the Bible states that he's the only true God. Jesus, the Son of God, comes into the world and repeatedly states he's the only way to God, the only way to heaven, and the only means of salvation. Thirdly, we saw that the Bible itself, and we're going to talk more about the Bible tonight and in the next few weeks, the Bible claims to be the only true revelation from God. There is no other book like the Bible, and the claims that the Bible itself makes, they're either all true, or we might as well just throw the Bible away and read a storybook. But it makes these amazing claims that there is no other authoritative revelation from the Creator God. The Bible is His Word. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And there's no prophecy of Scripture that is for private interpretation. It didn't come by the will of men. In other words, men didn't just make up these books of the Bible, but they were inspired. They were inbreathed by God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit to write down the Scriptures. And we saw numerous warnings in the Bible against any additions or any subtractions from the Scriptures. The Bible is God's Word, and the Scripture cannot be broken. Another amazing claim that is made in the Bible is that the way of salvation that is presented in the Bible is the only way. Now this is extremely important because, especially as we learned a few weeks ago, in countries like the United States that may have once been a Judeo-Christian nation that based its beliefs on the Bible, We now have a society that has turned to all kinds of gods, all kinds of strange religions, many of which are claiming to offer some kind of hope or salvation. But we need to be very clear on this point, that there aren't three ways to be saved. There's one way of salvation, and the Bible stresses that over and over and over. For instance, we saw in Acts 4 and verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. And in context, it's referring to Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So, Salvation does not come through Buddha, through Mohammed, through Confucius, through any other name, only in the name of Jesus Christ. So this is a very strong and a very exclusive claim that is made in the Bible repeatedly. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, we saw, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Only one God, only one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, we also just 
touched on a couple of other points, which we're going to develop more as we move further in this study. But a couple of other things that are unique about Christianity. Christianity is backed by an abundance of historical facts and documents. And we're going to look at those in particular starting next week. But understand, as we said earlier, Christianity is not some blind faith. We have abundant historical evidence for the Christian faith. And both the creation of the universe is documented in the Bible, man's fall is documented in the Bible, and the whole plan of redemption and salvation is outlined in the Bible. We also saw that no other religious writings give such a clear account on the origin of the universe, where everything came from. The Bible is very clear. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Genesis chapters 1 and 2 give a very detailed account of how God created all matter, all energy, the sun, the moon, the stars, all life. It's all explained there that God created these things. And there is no other account in any religious writings that comes close to the account that we have in the book of Genesis that reveals God as the creator of all things. And last week, we looked in some detail at the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. There is no other figure in human history that comes anywhere close to Jesus Christ. There's no one like him in all of history. And again, there is abundant historical evidence and basis for every one of these points. And let me just run through these quickly. No one was ever born the way Jesus was born. His birth was predicted hundreds of years ahead of time. And we're going to look more uh, as we get further in this study, specifically at the fulfillment of prophecy. It's one of the great proofs that the Bible is God's revelation. It is God's word, because time and time and time again, predictions are made in the scriptures hundreds of years beforehand, and with exact detail, they are brought forth exactly as predicted. So, Christ's first advent, his coming into the world, was predicted in precise detail. Where he was going to be born, the the genealogy or the family lineage from which he would come, the purpose of his coming, the nature of his death, his resurrection, all these things were predicted hundreds of years before they took place. And specifically, the uniqueness of Jesus' birth, we often talk about only at Christmas time, but I think it's worthy of our attention throughout the year, that Jesus was born in a manner unlike any other human being. He was born of a virgin. Nothing like it ever happened before, and nothing like it will ever happen after that. Once and only once did God choose to do this. He was born of a woman, but a woman who had never had union with a man. And we looked at those scriptures last time. Born of a virgin, and related to that, another thing that makes Jesus Christ absolutely unique, he's fully man, but also fully God. 
he was born of a woman, but God the Father is his father. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus didn't become a God. He is and always has been God. He is the great I Am, and yet he took on human form and became fully man. So there's no one else like this in all of human history, fully God and fully man. Along with that, we saw the uniqueness of Jesus' life. He was sinless. He knew no sin. He committed no sin. In him was no sin. Another thing that is mentioned over and over in the New Testament, when people heard Jesus' teachings his sermons, his parables, they said, we've never heard anything like this. No one ever spoke like this man speaks. And when he taught, he taught as one who had authority. So his, even his teachings were unique. There had never been any other religious teacher like this. Finally, the uniqueness of his death. No one ever died a death like Jesus. There have been a lot of martyrs and a lot of heroes who died for some cause down through human history. But Jesus repeatedly stated he was going to lay down his life and no one was taking his life from him. He was voluntarily laying down his life and three days later he predicted he would take it up again, signifying his resurrection. And of course, as we are approaching Resurrection Sunday and the celebration of Jesus' triumph over death, this again sets him apart from every other religious leader, every other uh, prophet or so-called great man or woman, Mohammed, Buddha, Confucius, Darwin, Zoroaster, you can fill in the blanks, not a single one of them has the same testimony that Jesus has. He laid down his life, and three days later, he took it up again, he rose from the grave, he triumphed over death, and we're told in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. So the resurrection of Jesus is like the crowning glory to all the other unique aspects of his life. It sets him apart. It makes him totally and absolutely unique. And we're even going to come back and look more carefully at the resurrection of Christ later on. And this is an example of what I was referring to earlier. This is not blind faith. The Bible tells us there were over 500 eyewitnesses. An eyewitness is somebody who has seen it with their own two eyes. 500 eyewitnesses saw Jesus crucified, dead, placed in the tomb, and three days later, risen from the dead. And there are abundant writings that have been documented and, and preserved for us to give us the basis for our faith in a risen Savior. <clears throat> now, I want to finish this whole section tonight with one last point, and that is coming back to the Bible, the uniqueness of the Bible. There are many religious books, many religious writings in the world today, and you and I will often be questioned, well, you read your Bible, I read my book, they're all pointing us to God, and we'll all end up in the same place, right? absolutely wrong. There is no other book like the Bible. 
Now, the word Bible comes from the Greek word biblos, which simply means book. So, when we are referring to the Bible or the Holy Bible, we're literally just reminding ourselves this is the book. It is a unique book, and I cannot emphasize this enough. There's no other book like the Bible. No other book that makes the claims the Bible makes. No other book that has the historical, archaeological documentation and proof that the Holy Bible has. Now, next week, I want to begin by actually looking at the New Testament in particular and how do we verify the authenticity of what we now read as our New Testament. So that's what we want to look at next week. But let me just give you an overview tonight. The Bible, as you know, consists of 66 books. And the amazing thing about the Bible is those 66 books were written by 40 different authors. 40 different authors over a period of more than 2,000 years. Now you can imagine if you tried to put together a collection of writings from 40 different authors from all sorts of different cultures and backgrounds over a span of more than 2,000 years, it would be one huge hodgepodge of confusion. It would be next to impossible to, first of all, even have any control over what the 40 different authors were writing, let alone try to put all of those writings into one comprehensive book. It's highly likely that one author would contradict another, and there would be all sorts of confusion when you tried to read all 40 of those authors uh, in one book. But that's the amazing miracle about the Bible. 66 different books written by 40 different authors over a period of more than 2,000 years, and yet, whether you're reading Genesis, or Proverbs, or the Gospel of John, or the second epistle of Peter, you sense that it's all part of one unified message. Because it is. And the Bible, as we saw, states in its own scriptures that although the actual writings, scripture means something written down, these were literally written down by human beings. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Paul, Timothy, they were the ones that wrote down the words. But the Bible tells us they were not writing from their own intellect or their own reasoning or their own ideas. They were inbreathed, inspired by God, moved by the Holy Spirit, and God gave them the, the words and the prophecy and the revelation that they wrote down. So, really, the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation has one author. It's written by God. But he used 40 different individuals to write down the words of the books that now make up our Bible. And <clears throat> gradually, over a period of time, those different writings became unified into one single volume, one book that we call the Bible. And even that process in itself is such a miracle, no one can fully even understand or explain how that came about. We will try to give some 
explanation on how all of the books of the Bible came together into one volume, but we'll do it in pieces. Next week, as I mentioned, we're going to begin to look first at the New Testament, and then we're going to look at the Old Testament and try to get some understanding of how we came to have this collection of writings that makes up the New Testament, how we got this collection of writings that we call the Old Testament, and how it all was ultimately put together in one volume, one Biblos, one book that we call the Bible. <clears throat> there is absolutely no other book in all of the millions and millions of volumes written by man. There is no other book like the Bible. And the Bible is, by the way, still the all-time best-selling book. You can check it out if you don't believe me, but the Bible is still the all-time bestseller. And another thing that we've touched on, and each of these points we're going to come back and develop more starting next week, but one of the unique aspects of the Bible itself is prophecy. And there are literally hundreds of specific prophecies, often written hundreds of years before the time of their fulfillment, and without fail, unless they're prophecies yet to be fulfilled, without fail, with unbelievable precision and accuracy, every one of those prophecies was fulfilled. And this is an overwhelming proof that the Bible is what it claims to be, God's Word. And we saw uh, at the beginning of this whole study where God himself challenges any other God to please step forward and prove to us that you are God and one of the things God challenges these gods to do is to prophesy. Let me just read this again from Isaiah 44, from verse 6 to 8. Isaiah 44, verses 6 to 8. This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first, and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it, let him declare, and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people, and here it comes, and what is yet to come. So God is challenging any other so-called God, please step forward and predict what is yet to come. Yes, let him foretell what will come. And this is one of the strong proofs that the Bible is written by God because he repeatedly foretells things that are yet to come ahead of time. And he finishes this section off by saying, Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. So, the abundant evidence of prophetic predictions in the Bible, many of which have now come to pass, they've been fulfilled, and we're going to look at a number of those in detail later on in this study. But this is one thing that sets the Bible apart 
from any other religious writing. The numerous predictions which have now come to pass and are basically a part of history. There's another aspect to the Bible's uniqueness, and this is its accuracy. The Bible, although it is not specifically written to be a history book or a science book, it makes numerous references to historical events, and it makes numerous references to various aspects of creation, nature, and science. And without fail, every single reference to these things in the Bible, even though they may not have been understood at the time they were written, they have now, by and large, been confirmed either by historical records, by archaeological findings, or by modern scientific discoveries. And this last part is particularly interesting to me. Certain things that are mentioned in the Bible, they could not have possibly understood at the time that they were written. But now, with advances in modern science, we go back and see these things in the Bible and say, wow, that's amazing that they knew about that then. Well, they didn't know about it, but God did. And we'll look at some examples of that. Uh, let me just give you one that I was studying recently. In the book of Proverbs, it talks about ants. And ants are used as an example of industriousness, hard work, and the book of Proverbs actually says, go to the ant and study her ways, observe how hard she works. And you may remember, as I'm quoting, it uses the female person. It refers to ants as she. Well, I don't think they had any idea in Solomon's day the difference between a male or a female ant. But we now know that all of the worker ants in an ant colony are indeed females. The males are not workers. Only the females are the ones that do all the hard work in an ant colony. Just one of many, many examples where with, with very specific accuracy, Although the Bible was not intended to be a science textbook, when it refers to ants or stars or the earth or rocks, whatever it says about those things is absolutely accurate and can be confirmed by modern scientific discoveries. Um, one more point that I find very strengthening to my faith that proves to me the Bible is God's Word. And that is the honesty and the authenticity of the accounts of different characters in the Bible. The Bible makes no attempt to cover up or sugarcoat the failures of God's people, including the leaders. For instance, it tells about Noah getting drunk. It tells about Abraham lying. It tells about King David committing adultery and murder. It tells about the Apostle Peter, the founder and leader of the whole Christian movement. It tells about how he denied Jesus three times. He was a coward. All these things are spelled out in living color in the Bible. If the Bible were some collection of religious writings that man invented, and he wrote in some attempt to start a new religion, 
you certainly wouldn't want to tell all the the bad stuff about the people. You would cover up, sugarcoat all those things. But the Bible tells everything. And to me, that is an overwhelming proof that with all of its honesty, with all of its authenticity, the Bible is God's Word. It doesn't try, as many other religious writings do, it doesn't try to portray anyone as a superhero. The only superhero in the Bible is Jesus Christ. And all the others, Abraham, Noah, Moses, Peter, the the Bible shows us their human side, and it reveals their human weaknesses, and shows that all of them are, as James says, men of like passions. To me, that's an overwhelming proof that the Bible is God's Word. And two more points to finish up this section on the uniqueness of the Bible. And one of these is the miraculous way in which the Bible has been preserved. You know, kings and rulers and priests and different political groups down through the years, they have tried and tried and tried to eradicate the Bible. Millions, millions of copies of the Bible have been burned and disposed of. Many of its followers have been put to death. And amazingly, we still have Bibles everywhere. It's a a miraculous thing when you think about it. How many times they have tried to eradicate the Bible, and yet they cannot seem to get rid of it. The more copies they burn, the more copies are printed, the more copies are smuggled into countries that aren't even allowing Bibles to be printed, and they just can't seem to get rid of them. The miraculous preservation of the Bible itself is something for us to take note of. The number of college and university professors and atheists who have tried and tried to refute the Bible, to discredit the Bible, this has been going on for centuries. And it's rampant in our day on our college campuses. Uh, Professors routinely and regularly stand up in their classes and they trash the Bible and they mock anyone who would believe in the Bible. And yet, for all of that, the Bible is still number one on the bestseller list. They just can't seem to get rid of it. And finally, in this list of the uniqueness of the Bible, we've touched on this earlier, it's the claims made by its own writers. Peter and Paul and so many of the ones who were responsible for writing down both the Old Testament and the New Testament scriptures, they themselves claim in their writings that they were oracles inspired by God, that these were not just clever tales or interesting stories that they were writing about, but they were inspired, they were moved by God to write these things down. Now, one more section we want to look at here, and this is going to finish up this whole first part on the uniqueness of the Christian faith. And this is last, but certainly not least. And this I would title The Uniqueness of Salvation by Grace. The Uniqueness of Salvation by Grace. 
And very often people will challenge you or challenge me and say, oh, there are so many different religions in the world. You all claim to be the only one with the right way. You all are arrogant and proud and you're not open to the fact that there are many, many other good religions in the world. Well, my answer to that is this isn't about a religion. We're not even trying to compete with all of the other religions in the world. And I make a distinction between religion and salvation. Salvation by grace and grace alone is unique in the world today. There aren't many religions that offer salvation by grace. Christianity is the only means to salvation by grace. Let me explain what I mean by that. If you examine carefully every other religion, you can look at Hinduism, Islam, uh, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and on and on and on. You can go through the whole list. You can examine every other religion in the world. They come in different packages, and they have different shapes and sizes and colors. But basically, they're all similar in one respect. And that is this. All of these religions, they teach some form of salvation by works. There's something that man has to do to better himself, to make himself worthy of grace or love or forgiveness. There's some emphasis on what man must do to reach God. It may be a system of rules, do's and don'ts. Maybe I need to become... Uh, a jihadist and blow up a building and if I become a suicide bomber then that grants me salvation according to the Islamic faith and each one of these religions has some set of rules works things that I must do uh, number of hours of prayers or number of Hours I must spend going door to door, trying to witness to people. Some form of salvation by works is the basis of every other religion in the world. And I would maintain there is no other religion, there is no other message like the one of the gospel of Jesus Christ that reveals a salvation that has absolutely nothing to do with anything that man can do. Nothing. From start to finish, this is totally and absolutely freely given by God's grace to undeserving sinners. We don't make ourselves worthy or deserving of this salvation by doing good works or uh, fasting or praying or reading the Bible or any kind of a work. This salvation is free. It is a free gift of God's grace. Totally, absolutely, no strings attached. That sets it totally apart from every other kind of religion. And so, as we look at the different religions in the world and compare it with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will invariably find this difference. The gospel of Jesus Christ starts with God. All of the religions of man, they start with man. And it's man's attempt to somehow reach God through a system of good works or godliness or doing good deeds for others or whatever. But salvation by grace begins with God. 
and it's God's plan, it's God's idea from start to finish. It is all about God seeking and saving the lost. And salvation is presented as a free gift. The only thing that man can do and the only thing that man must do is repent, turn to God, and receive that free gift of grace. And when you really study this, and we're, we're just touching the surface here, but when you look at the depths of what salvation by grace really means, it sets the gospel of Christ apart from any and every other religion. So, let's summarize this whole first section, and then next week we want to begin by looking specifically at the New Testament. Where did it come from? How can we know that it really is authentic, and that it's true, and that it wasn't some hoax that men put together to try to start some new religion? And we're going to look both at um, history, we're going to look at archaeology, we're going to look at a number of different proofs of the authenticity of the entire New Testament. But let's summarize this whole first section. We're looking at reasons to believe. And throughout this whole section one, we've looked at the uniqueness of the Christian faith. It's unlike any other faith, unlike any other religion. And it makes bold and amazing claims, which we're now, in coming weeks, we're going to come back and look at each one of these claims to see what kind of proof there is. We're told in the book of Acts chapter 1 that after Jesus' resurrection, he gave his disciples many infallible proofs. Many infallible proofs. And so we want to look at the proofs of these various claims that God is the one and only true God, the God of the Bible, and that Christ is the only way to God. The Bible is the only true revelation of God. And the Bible itself has abundant proof and evidence to be exactly what it claims to be, the Word of God. And in a future study, we're also going to come back and look with some more um, detail at the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, His birth, His life, His message, His miracles, His death, and His resurrection. And we also want to talk about prophecy. And we're going to look at some specific prophecies, very uh, exact predictions that were made hundreds of years ahead of time and with perfect accuracy, every single one of them came to pass. So, we have a unique faith and God is calling on us to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you and to give a reason for the hope that we have. This is what is referred to as apologetics. The word that Peter uses in that scripture we read earlier to give an answer to everyone is the Greek word apologia, which means to make a plea, to give an answer, or to give a defense. And again, we're not apologizing for our faith. We're giving reasonable, logical answers, reasons, and defenses for our faith in Christ. And I think if you stay with us throughout this study, not only is your faith going to be strengthened, but I think you'll have more confidence to share your faith with others. And I know one of the 
fears that many Christians have is, what if they ask me a question and I don't have the right answer? Well, I have a simple answer for that. If you don't have the answer, be honest. Tell them, I don't have an answer to that, but can I get back with you? And search it out. And ask some other people. And maybe you can find a good answer and then go back and give it to that person. We're not supposed to be Bible answer men or Bible answer women. We're not supposed to have all of the answers. But I think as we go through this study, you're going to find that you have better answers to give to people to some of the standard questions like, how can I know that the Bible is true? Uh, Why are you so sure that Christianity is the only way to be saved? And how can we know for sure that Jesus really was who he claimed to be? Hopefully we can come up with some answers to some of those questions that commonly arise. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you that you've given us many infallible proofs that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He is the Son of the living God, the great I Am. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Thank you, O God, for making the way of salvation plain and simple. You didn't give us three or five or ten different ways. You gave us one way, one simple way to be saved. And God, I pray that you would strengthen our faith, you would equip us and prepare us to be able to give logical reasons for faith in Christ, for faith in the Bible, and for faith in a mighty Creator God who made all things. God bless each and every listener, both on the telephone and through the internet, and those that may be listening to this Uh, recorded message later on. Bless them and strengthen their faith, we pray in Jesus' name.